Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're talking about advocating for yourself during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, respectful communication, informed consent, and hospital policy. I know really big things. And while it may sound like, oh, that's a heavy topic or several topics, it is such a fantastic and light and energetic conversation. So I have Hehe Stewart, who really is so informative and such an advocate for pregnant folks about all these topics. Let me tell you a little bit about Hehe. So Hehe Stewart is the founder of Twink. Tranquility by Hehe Maternity Concierge, the creator of the Birth Lounge membership and podcast. With a master's degree in human development and family studies and 10 years in family life education field, Hehe helps people prepare for childbirth with research-backed education and data-driven support to have a confident birth experience while feeling informed and in control of labor without feeling coerced. She is amazing. I had such a great time speaking with Hehe. You're going to get so much wonderful information. We talk about, we do some role playing. So if your care provider presents something that you're not feeling great about, we go through some role playing of how to respectfully decline. We talk about informed consent and that you don't need to straight off sign that consent form as is. So much great information in this conversation. Now, before we get to that, I just want to say thank thank you. I want to thank the community for week after week showing up, listening to the podcast, week after week, class after class coming into the studio in New York City or online. I have watched this community grow and it's because of all of you. And I just want to say thank you. So if you're interested in our classes, say you're pregnant or postpartum, we've got in-studio classes, we've got online classes. So it doesn't matter where you are or when you need classes, we've got them for you. We've also have an on-demand library of our workshops, and we have a very 
intense and thorough yoga training. So if you're interested in pre or postnatal yoga, and you can tell how passionate I am and all of the community, how we are, then this is the program for you. So you can check all of this out on our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. And then while you're there, I have a free giveaway. It's a downloadable. It is the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy aches and pains. So grab that. Get a little cheat sheet for the days you can't come to class. Okay, we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Hee Hee. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Hehe. How are you? Oh my gosh. Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing really well. So I'm always transparent with the community that Hehe and I have been doing a little podcast swap. So I had the honor of being on her podcast. She is on Yoga Birth Babies. And I'm just so excited when I get to connect with a like-minded person. And we're both in the Boston area. So yay for that. So I'm just so happy to speak with you. So thanks for your time. Oh my gosh, of course. I love it too. I love being able to help people understand that birth can be better than what I think a lot of us think it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're mm-hmm. right, being around like-minded people just makes that mission like burn a little deeper in my soul. Oh, oh. It jazzes me up. Well, we're going to talk a lot about birth advocacy and hospital policies and consent. Ah, so much. But before we jump into this juicy topic, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what led you to birth work. Yeah, great question. So I have a master's degree in human development and family studies. And uh, through that, I got to really see um, how having a baby impacts new parents. Um, I was part of an early childhood education facility and I got to see the angst and the anxiety and the, um, you know, sigh of relief almost. And there was a little bit of grieving and there was guilt when parents dropped their child off for the first time. Um, you know, just six, eight, 10, 12 weeks after birth when they were returning to work. And it made me think like, wow, the beginning of parenthood must like, there, there's gotta be a different way. There has to be a way that people don't have to go through all these terrible emotions. Um, and then I started to dig into that. And I, um, I was a teacher in an infant classroom and one of my co-teachers was like, you would be an amazing doula. Do you know anything about that? And I said, no, um, and that was kind of it. The the rest is history. I started to look into that and I realized, wow, in the USA, we have got a lot of things that are messed up kind of around our birth world and mm-hmm. how women are treated in labor and birth. And they actually have a lot of options. So what's the missing link? The link is, um, you know, getting access to that information to teach people what are your options and how do you respectfully decline things that don't feel aligned to you? And how do you swap care providers if you don't feel like you're getting consensual, compassionate care? Um, and you know, it has just been, um, 
it it has just been like the light in my life. It, it jazzes me up every day. Every day I get up excited to do this work. Um, and every single time we have a birth, we learn a little bit more. And that pays off for all the women who birth after mm-hmm. you. Our our system is progressively getting better. Um, and and we are we are making waves. And it feels good to help women and their children thrive because this country uh, historically just doesn't do a very good job of that. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And also what an interesting way into this work. So I did not know yeah. that about you. Wow. All right. So we're going to talk about how pregnant folks can advocate for themselves, which is incredibly important. And I know that is absolutely one of your passions. So what are some routine interventions that are being presented to people that they may not realize they have a choice about? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many things, right? Um, let's start prenatally. Mm-hmm. So cervical exams in, in your prenatals, not really evidence-based unless you have a medical reason to have them. That would be like preterm labor, or we were concerned about, um, something that would be answered by a cervical exam, but the majority of people do not need cervical exams in, uh, you know, your prenatals and they don't really tell us that much, right? But they do increase your risk of infection. And this is a conversation that not a lot of people are having. A lot of times it's your doctor walks in, they put on some gloves, they say, all right, check. It's, it's time for a check, lay back. And that is not consent. You know, that's not even a discussion. That is your doctor just told you what they are going to do to and with your body. And that's, it's really inappropriate. Um, it's unethical and it's unprofessional. Um, and you know, our people just deserve better. So that's one of them. Um, that's one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way, the, the whole exam uh, ahead, because I feel like not only does it, as you said, introduce the the possibility of infection, but I think it makes the pregnant person really anxious because they may feel like they're not making any progress or maybe they're like, oh, I'm three centimeters any moment. And and we don't know because the cervix is not a crystal ball. So thank you for putting that as one of the top things because it's such an irritant to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, any test or procedure that's done in pregnancy should be presented as an option. Mm-hmm. Um, they all are going to have a different severity of pros and cons and risk if you choose not to do it. And some of them will have many alternatives and some of them will have no alternatives. Um, you either get this or you don't. And, you know, here are the pros and cons. It, it, it really comes down to a discussion. Um, so kind of anything there. I think one that a lot of people don't know about in prenatals is you can actually swab your, yourself for GBS. So if you're very uncomfortable having someone swab you, um, you can swab yourself for GBS. And it's going to take place sometime between like 35, 36, and 37 weeks. Um, you'll be swabbed for GBS, and, and that'll be sent off. So um, those are the ones I think in prenatals. Also, oh, you know what? Another one is the uh, the glucola drink. Mm-hmm. Like there are alternatives. Um, there are really great alternatives. There's even one now on the market that is um, FDA approved. And, uh, you know, you have alternatives to these things. And a lot of times providers just don't want to go through the extra hassle of, you know, doing that with you, I guess. Um, and that, that for me is kind of indicative. If they're really giving you a lot of pushback on 
simple things that we know have safe alternatives in pregnancy. Think about how this person is going to treat you in labor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in in labor, things that I think are often presented as not being a choice is again cervical checks. Right? Um, who cares what hospital policy is? That is your genitals. You get to decide who goes up in there. And to be honest, you want to use them strategically because they do increase your risk of infection and it compounds. So it is not each individual check carries its own risk. It's once you get to a certain number of checks, four or five checks, you have increased your risk of infection by about half, by 50%, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that, you know, that can be dangerous. Um, so think about that. Getting an IV as well. Now, this one gets a little tooky. Uh, medical professionals get a little bit nervous about this because, you know, no one wants an emergency. But uh, low-risk people, we know that the chances they need an IV in an emergency is low. That's why they're low-risk. And so if it is more comfortable for that person to labor without an IV, as long as it is safe, they're not dehydrated, they don't need IVs, they don't need any sort of medication that requires an IV. Um, you know, we're not worried about them having any sort of risk for uh, complications that would require an IV. That's kind of why we birth in the hospital, you know, is because our society has scared us so much about home birth that we've chosen to birth in the hospital, but we still deserve to have choice. And that is, I don't want an IV unless it's medically necessary. So this one, you're probably going to face a little pushback on, but it is absolutely a choice. Um, and then I think a lot of times, you know, there, there's a, a hundred choices that you'll have to make during labor. Um, but fast forward to kind of postpartum, the things that they do to your baby afterwards, these are all, these are all choices as well. This goes for or um, any sort of, um, you know, injection or procedure they want to do on your baby, giving your baby a bath, um, skin to skin. I've, I've heard of hospitals. We have one here in, locally in Boston that um, tries to restrict skin to skin. Their policy is written to restrict skin to skin unless there is a nurse available in the room. Um, and so, you know, as, as if there's not a nurse in the room, but they parents- want to restrict it. They don't want the parent yeah. to have, why? Yeah, because so their reasoning is because parents are very tired after labor. And so there's a risk that of, um, you think you know- they're going to drop their baby. Yes, or or a, a worse outcome. Yep, absolutely. And so not only do they restrict skin to skin, but now they've instilled this really false fear of, oh my God, I'm going to kill my baby. I'm not even equipped to take care of this baby. How am I supposed to go home with this baby? Oh, Can you imagine, Deb? It's actually terrible. Um, and so just knowing your rights around that kind of stuff to say, like, I really respect your policy and I appreciate you telling me that we are declining that. And I am going to be doing skin to skin when you're not in the room. That is um, bonkers. I, I have not yeah. heard that. That's, that's yeah. very upsetting. That's really upsetting. Yeah. There are some wild and out policies sometimes that we run across. Um, and so, you know, I think knowing what's an option and what's not is super, super helpful. Wow. All right. You just totally blew my mind. Here in New York, we are very much skin to skin unless baby has a medical uh, reason. So... Yikes. And most of our hospitals here are too. I don't want to paint Boston in a bad light because every other hospital that I know about does do this. We just have this one that has this very funky policy in postpartum. Yeah. All right. So say someone's hearing that and they're like, (laughs) okay, I want to advocate for myself. So sometimes talking to a care provider can 
can be uncomfortable. You know, they, they do hold mm-hmm. a certain level of, not level, but like place of authority. And what are some ways that someone can find the confidence or maybe the words to advocate for themselves with their care provider? Yeah. So two ways. So I want you to just keep it really simple and I want you to follow the three-step process of acknowledge, thank, and reset your boundaries. So you're going to acknowledge what they said. Oh, I appreciate you telling me that it's hospital policy. I'm not allowed to eat with while I'm in labor. Thank you for clarifying that. I am choosing to still eat because I feel comfortable with the risk. And we're just going to reset those boundaries, right? The way that you find the confidence to do this and you start to have this kind of roll off the tongue is you practice. Practice while you're driving. Practice while you're showering. Practice while you're working out. Practice while you're rearranging your closet, while you're doing laundry, while you're doing dishes. Practice, practice, practice. Put the phone down and stop scrolling. Social media is only going to work against you in so many ways. It will introduce you to great people like Deb and I and all the amazing um, childbirth educators out there, but you should connect with those people on a private platform and not continue to scroll. Um you I want to do a little role play with this. Can we do that? Because I'm so, I'm like, I'm hearing you say like practice. I'm like, all right, let's help, tell people to practice. I'm going to be the care provider. Um, I will do, okay. I'm going to do the, oh, I have one. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you're in labor. This is exciting. You're going to meet your baby, but I really, for us to get a good tracing on your monitor, I'm going to need you on your external fetal monitor. I'm going to need you just to stay still in bed. I really cannot stay still. I'm sorry. Well, I really, I do need you to stay still. Thank you so much. I'll check in on you a little bit. Okay. I'll do my best. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to stay still. And I would just continue to say that, you know, and if the doctor continues, you can say, listen, I cannot stay still. You can send someone in here with a Doppler um, or you can, I don't know. I, I can't stay still. I'm so sorry. You know, it's not confrontational and you're not trying to say these people are bad doctors. All you're saying is like, here's a boundary and you know, I just love it. You're like, no, I'm not going to thank you so much. Um, (laughs) and I do, and I do love the idea of saying like, you totally hit it. I'm not gonna be able to stay still. That way we're kind of just take that off the table and the suggestion of like, can I have a Doppler? Because sure, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do another one. Okay. Um, bum, 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 bum. we'll do the, the one that drives me crazy. The one that you had mentioned. Okay. So you are 38 weeks and let's just see where that cervix is. You, who knows? Maybe you're, maybe you're going to give birth really soon. Let's check that cervix out. Really? You think I might have my baby even though I'm just, uh, this is the first baby I'm having. Yeah. Let's see what your cervix is looking like. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little scared. I don't think I want that. I'm, I'm not really that interested in it and I'm kind of scared it's going to hurt. Oh, it won't hurt. It won't hurt. Mm. I don't know. I really wasn't prepared to have one today. So I think I'm going to pass today, but I will think about it if I want one next week. Oh, okay. 
I love that. I will think about if I want one next week because you know at that point they are seeing their care provider every mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, this is so good. I'm loving this because sometimes people are just not going to know how to do it or, and I love the idea of practicing. So thank yeah. you for this. Oh, this is really fun. All right. I want to talk about, unless you have another scenario that we should work out. Those are kind of my big ones about the external. Oh, what about not eating? Oh, I've got one. Okay. Oh, it's so great that you're in labor now. Letting you know, now that you have checked in, you're in L and D, we don't allow anything except some, uh, clear fluids and some ice chips. Really? Even though we know that the science says I should be able to eat and labor, I'm going to be starving by the end of this. Well, that that is our hospital policy because we're worried that you might need general anesthesia at some point and And we just feel better if you don't eat. But you can have some broth. I'm low risk, so I'm not concerned I'm going to need general anesthesia. Is my baby looking okay? Yeah, your baby looks great. And do I look okay? Everything looks great. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then I will be sure to let you know if I eat anything. I did just have a chicken salad sandwich right before I came in. So I feel fueled for now. But as long as I stay low risk, I am planning to eat. But I promise to be upfront with that because I do know that if I need medication, um, it will, it may impact things if I have something in my stomach. I understand that. I love it. <laughs> that is so great. Okay. These are really, really, really great. So thank you. You know, for this. one of the most powerful phrases that you can say if you get in a bind and you are feeling pressured is I'm not prepared to make this decision right now, mm-hmm. but I will think about it. Yeah. I used to say for my doula clients, just tell me want to pray on it. And wow, <laughs> did people exactly. leave the room? <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, I actually just learned that a couple months ago is if you ask to pray or meditate on something, um, your medical providers have to leave the room and provide you space to do that. Yeah, my mentor taught me that years ago and I used it all the time. You should have seen some of the looks. People could not get out of the room fast enough. (laughs) Yeah, I did not know about that. I, um, I just learned it. It is super powerful. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about consent forms, but we're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about informed consent and consent forms. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. We're back. So this is a a big topic, informed consent and consent forms. So first, will you talk about ways you just gave some some uh, guidelines of how to decline hospital policies, but can we talk about how to really tailor a consent form to reflect one's personal desires? I think people don't realize that they don't have to necessarily sign consent forms as is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one sneaky thing that we are finding though, that we're running into as technology grows is um, hospitals are having people uh, sign their consent forms in a pregnancy via some sort of technology, either a form online or through an iPad or a tablet that's given to them at one of their prenatal appointments. Um, and it feels a little sneaky because the people, you know, aren't able to like sit down and read it and go through it and you're not able to edit it. You can always ask them to print it out for you. Um, and you don't have to sign it. So you should just let them know, I'm not going to be able to sign this electronically because I want to be able to see the whole thing and edit it as I need. Um, as far as editing it, you know, the hospital policy can only be edited so much because it was written to keep the hospital safe, not Mm -hmm. you. 
but the hospital, right? It's, it's, it's a way to prevent against litigation. Now, what you can do is write, you want to have explicit consent for each individual decision made unless something life-threatening occurs. So this just basically says, I want you to come to me to get permission to do that cervical check. I want you to come to me to get permission to turn up my Pitocin. I want you to come to me when you want to put the belly bands on me. You should not just walk up to me and put belly bands on me. You should come over and say, hi, Deb. Hi. Oh, my God. You're working so hard. I'm Hee. I am your nurse. I just came on at four, and it's time to get a read on your baby. It's been a little bit, and I know you declined the last one, so now we've been like over an hour since we have checked on your baby. Are you interested in me getting kind of a read on your your baby. I was going to put these belly bands around your belly so that we could listen to your baby for, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes if you would let us. That That's is such a different way than I've seen presented. Some uh, nurses 100% follow exact, like yes, super. Absolutely. So I don't want to paint the whole picture, but that's not always the case. And a total side note, I remember doing um, a spinning babies workshop where I was actually the only yoga teacher and everyone else was a L&D nurse. And we were talking about this idea of touching people's bodies. And one of the nurses was so brave to say she never considered asking permission because in her yeah. mind, that was just a body she needed to check things off on. Okay, check this, do this, do this. And it wasn't as if it was a person, it was just a body. And I thought that was so brave of her to say that. And I think sometimes it gets that way for some nurses, not everyone. So I love how you painted that picture of gently approaching and really asking consent. So thank you for, for really laying that out. Yeah. You know, I think this is something that's taught to nurses. It's called assumed consent. And I think a really, really, really important thing that we have to remember about L and D is that you're not sick. Right. Unless you are, if you're seeing a high risk doctor or you have a high risk pregnancy um, in some regards, I mean, you know, with the exception of like breach and twin, which are only classified as high risk in our country because our medical system doesn't really practice that. But if you have like a medically high risk uh, pregnancy, you know, some of these things are not going to be appropriate for you to decline or some of the things you are going to need. But that assumed consent of I have to treat all of these people assumes that these people are sick. And most people who are low risk are not sick when you're pregnant. You are arguably the healthiest you've ever been in your life because you're sustaining two lives, mm. two bodies, two heartbeats, two circulatory systems, you know, just think about that. Um, it's very different. You don't need assumed consent when you are in your right mind. And you don't, being in labor land or birth brain does not mean you're incapable of making decisions. It means that someone needs to get down on the ground with you and kneel down and use a soft voice, introduce themselves, explain to you why they want to do what they're doing, and then ask you if you're okay with that. And this is in between contractions. So this conversation did not just happen over 30 seconds. It was in between contractions, letting that person ride those waves and pausing your conversation so that they can get through that contraction before you pick up. 
so that you're giving them the opportunity to have that true discussion and like think about their options that they have. So I love this and I love how you role played it out. And I really, this is the difference between like coerced consent and true informed consent. How are you offering to your community members, to your doula clients, that this needs to be the standard of practice, that when they walk into the hospital, that they really want things explained to them? Is this something that they're talking to their care provider ahead of time, or maybe they don't, it's not their care provider there and it's the nurses. How are you helping people take that stance? Yeah, I think it's in everything I do, right? So on our Instagram at Tranquility by Hehe, there's role playing things. So people can actually see what these things look like. And I'm not as nice as you were just in those um, examples. I actually do portray some of the ruder things that clients have shared with us. And with our one to one clients, we really are, um, sometimes it is role play and sometimes it is just a discussion of finding your voice. And sometimes it is a discussion of, okay, this was inappropriate. We need to bring this up. Um, and sometimes it looks like a discussion of this happened, it's too late to fix it, and now we have to figure out how to report it. And so one of the things that Tranquility by He holds, you know, to really high standards is being able to hold the system accountable. So when there are violations, we are sure to report them not in a way that is Uh, trying to be after someone's job or get them in trouble, but in a way to say, this is happening at this facility um, and it just needs to be addressed because the more that it happens, the more traumatized people are going to come out of your system. um, Mm -hmm. And that's not okay, right? I think this is something that uh, people hear a lot on our podcast too. Um, it is in almost everything that I talk about. It's in the birth lounge. Um, that's a membership that I have to help people prepare for, uh, labor, but the, it, comes down really to that autonomy. You have got to be able to know where you stand on these topics and then advocate for them. And everyone's going to have a different approach. And I think that's the beauty of that acknowledge, thank, clarify, is you get to do that in your own way. You can phrase your phrases however you want to phrase them, but you're going to acknowledge that they told you that, you know, what the policy is, you're right there. You are letting your doctor off the hook. You're saying, Hey, I acknowledge that you told me. I know that's part of your job. Then you're going to thank them. I really appreciate you that, uh, appreciate you explaining that to me. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Thanks for telling me. And then you're going to reset your boundaries. I understand the risk and I feel comfortable in flipping over hands and knees, even though I have an epidural. And then you look at your doula and your, your partner and you say, help me get on hands and knees, please. Right. It's not, you're asking for permission. You are the ultimate decision maker and you're using your provider as a, um, a confidant, a professional, um, like a sounding board. Is there anything medically wrong with me doing this? Well, yeah, if you get on hands and knees with an epidural, there's a chance you could fall. Okay. Are you, are you, you're the only one that can, it can, um, kind of, um, evaluate this, but are you comfortable with that risk? Do you think you're going to fall? You have a duel on one side, your partner on the other, the handrails are up. I mean, what are the chances you're going to fall? Yeah, no, it's funny. I actually just did a, a reel about birthing on all fours. And yeah. I remember my second birth when I was a brand new doula, I had a client 
pushing on all fours and her doctor wasn't there and a uh, resident was there and the resident absolutely refused to do that. And I was so new. I did not know how to advocate. I was second birth and she got on her back and she basically pushed her nine pound baby out of spite very quickly wow. and tore, yeah. tore. And, yeah. and now as I talked about this online, people are like, Oh, if she has an epidural, she can fall out of bed. I'm like, <laughs> like you said, there's someone on each side, either a doula, a partner, a nurse, handrails, like she's not going to just topple yeah. over. So the point of not birthing on all fours does seem a little wacky, even with an epidural. But I love what you said about not having to ask permission, because I feel like that comes up a lot. And it's something that I hear my prenatal students saying, oh, my doctor won't let me do this. And mm-hmm. I love how you phrased it. It's, it's the autonomy. It's that person's birth. And I love that you said use the care provider as a sounding board and and also kind of looking at them for that support instead of, and, and maybe even pushing them outside their, their comfort zone. So how much do you advocate? I'm guessing the answer is a lot, but is it more <laughs> about a conversation of expectations before birth? I mean, that's part of it, but you got to think not everybody has that opportunity. Different facilities are set up different ways. You may never see the same doctor ever again from 32 weeks on because they have you on a huge schedule, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you may have all these conversations up to the time of your doctor and they quit when you're 37 weeks and now you're a new doctor, right? Like, or maybe you find out at 34 weeks that you're moving for your job, your partner's job, whatever it may be at 39 weeks, right? Like, that's not always possible. So if we have that luxury, if we have that time, of course, we're utilizing it, but it doesn't come down to that because that's not where your power comes from. Your power comes from in that moment, keeping that control of the room. And you always, one of the things that we teach in the birth lounge is how do you evaluate who's making the decisions? Well, it's who's moving the energy or who's holding the energy, right? So if a doctor comes in, puts on their glove, says, all right, lay back. It's time for a cervical exam. It's been two hours since your last one. Who's holding the energy in that room? That person. They have just come in with the momentum. And you can either go with that momentum, lay back, let your cervical exam happen if you're okay with it. Or sometimes if you're not okay with it, we don't feel like we can stop it. But that's where your power is. You have to reach out and take that power back because Mm -hmm. that room doesn't belong to them. They work in that room. That room belongs to you right now. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. Gosh, I can hear your passion about this. It is really exciting. So are you, you're still an active doula, correct? Yeah, I am. That's so wonderful. So when you're with your clients, how much are you or how, maybe more, not how much, but how are you, if they're feeling a little overwhelmed because birth is huge. There's a lot of emotions. Yeah. How yep. are you helping them find their voice in that moment if they're feeling just so much going on? Yeah. You know, Deb, a lot of times it can really come down to like a look or a squeeze of the hand, mm-hmm. uh, a very like nonverbal cue of like, you've got this. If they do need some sort of verbal cue, a lot of times I'll just pause the room and say, you know, Angela, you don't look like you love that option. Do you have any questions? Mm. Or I might say, Carrie, 
you said, yeah, but you look like you don't want to do that. Are you really okay with this choice? Or I might say, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to make this decision right now. You've got time to wait. We know your baby is safe and we just confirmed that you look good. Um, do you want a few minutes to think about this? I mean, you have to think no one should ever make a decision under duress if there's no emergency. So if someone is being badgered to a C-section and they are bawling their eyes out and a doctor's just saying like, well, we just need to get you back. But you heard them outside earlier saying that they're just trying to get to a soccer game. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, we have to step in for that kind of stuff. And those are really helpful phrases for the for the support person and someone on the team oh. because sometimes it is not possible for the person birthing to muster that out and or or feel like they can step in like that because I know having had my own two kids, there weren't times that I felt like I could put my thoughts together and speak up. So having the birth team hear those, you know, people that are listening to the podcast, having the birth team have those phrases and guiding yeah. that person to a different, like to opening and discussing. So powerful. I call that circling the wagons when the birth yeah. people are holding the space for the pregnant, for the birthing person. Oh, I love Ooh, I that. Love that. Yeah. And if you have a more timid or quiet partner or maybe a partner who doesn't feel as confident speaking up against medical professionals, the only phrase that they need to know is, can we please have a few minutes to make this decision? Yeah, that's it. And then you just clear the room. We're just going to get everybody out. It's just you and your partner and you guys are chatting about it. You can cry. You can Google things. You can call your doulas. You can call whoever makes you feel better. You can decide just the two of you guys. And that is going to really highlight if it's a medical situation, like a medical emergency, because there, if it was a true medical emergency, they're not going to say, sure, we'll step out. They'll be like, no, this is really not a position to offer space. And I think that in itself is going to be very telling about, you know, how urgently they need to take the next steps. Yeah. 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 My brain is spinning. Did I miss anything? <laughs> so I love talking about this. This could go on for hours. My brain is spinning. Is there anything within the within what you what the work you do about respectful communication and working through hospital policy and advocating that I didn't ask that you that you want to make sure we get to? Um, not in particular, but I do think that it's important that anytime we talk about how broken the system is, that we talk about how much it is not the healthcare professionals faults per se. Now, do they have a responsibility? 1000%. Is there any sort of leniency on abusive care? Nope. Zero, zero tolerancy, right? We do not have any tolerance for abusive care, but they're not bad people and they're not bad doctors and they're not bad nurses and they're not out to get you. They were taught this. This is a system. They are, they're products. They're products of a broken system. And I think that is super important to remember that just because a doctor didn't work out for you doesn't mean they're a terrible person. It means that maybe they weren't a good fit for you. Or if they were in abusive care, maybe they need to be reminded of their why. Or maybe it is time for them to find a career change. Or maybe they should just do something else in medicine that's not bedside. There's a lot of things, but the system is ultimately broken. And so, yes, we can hold the system accountable with 
without also persecuting these people as people, right? Mm -hmm. They're more of a product of a really broken system that actually puts profits over people. And that, my friends, is the real problem. Yes, 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 yes. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. So you have been doing this work for a very long time. You've been supporting people in the perinatal community for a very long time. What is one final tip you'd like to offer? Yeah, you have to make decisions that feel aligned with you. Like from start to finish, they have to be the decisions that you want to make, um, regardless of what other people feel is best for you or want you to make. Um, it is important when making these decisions that you have all the information and it doesn't mean that the choices you have or the options you have are ones that you like, right? You may run into a situation late in pregnancy, you develop something like cholestasis and you're looking at either an induction or a scheduled C-section and you wanted neither of those right? The important thing is you're the one who's getting to choose which path you do go down, even though neither one of those options are ideal. Uh, that's how you keep your power in birth. That is how you keep control. And that ultimately is how we avoid birth trauma because mm-hmm. birth trauma is less about the outcomes and almost primarily about how you were made to feel and whether you were able to be the decision maker in your labor. Mm, yes. Oh my gosh. That is so important. And for listeners in this, in the show notes, I'm going to link to a conversation I had with Penny Simpkins, also all about birth trauma, because he, he, you nailed it there. It is how you're made to feel. It is not necessarily the outcome. So thank you for highlighting that because that is huge. So you do amazing work. Where can people find all your work? Thank you so much. Yeah. So a couple of free resources, our Instagram and our TikTok. We're at Tranquility by Hee on both of those. Um, and our podcast as well is free. Uh, and that is linked to a YouTube. So you're going to find the same content on both. Some, um, free and are uh, some more affordable options. The birth lounge is $55 a month. It's a monthly membership. And then you can go to Tranquility by backslash shop. And we've got some really affordable five, 10, 15, 20, downloads that are evidence-based guides to help you have these really empowered conversations about induction, about uh, scheduled C-section, about unmedicated delivery, about uh, birthing positions and how you want to push with your body and not like you're taking a poop. So you can find us any of those places. Oh my gosh, this is so great. I cannot wait to look at some of those myself. All those links are going to be on our show notes. So thank you so much. I've had so much fun chatting with you. It was a joy to be on your podcast. I'm thrilled you were on mine and I'm just thrilled to connect. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Truly an honor. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.